Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Prime Time on Money FM 89.3. Now, a U.S. drone strike in the Afghan capital, Kabul, has prevented another deadly suicide attack at the airport. The United States warning of possible further attacks as evacuations wind down ahead of tomorrow's evacuation deadline. To get the latest on this and other international headlines that he's tracking in the week ahead, we're joined on the line now by Rich Preston, presenter at the BBC. Rich, welcome back to Primetime. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Timothy. Great to talk to you. Good to have you with us, Rich. So let's begin with the big global story of the last few weeks, Afghanistan. Um, Obviously, we've had a number of updates today. What are you watching out for this week? Yeah, well, as you mentioned in your headline there, this is all gearing towards tomorrow. Tomorrow Mm. is the big day, August 31st, the deadline for U.S. troops being out of the country after 20 years of military presence. And this is an incredibly risky time, Rachel. I mean, we saw, of course, the pictures from Thursday's awful suicide attack. uh, And as you mentioned, drone and rocket strikes to try Mm -hmm. and prevent other attacks just over the last few hours. The reason this is so risky is because the US are holding the perimeter at Kabul airport as the troops filter out and uh, different governments evacuate their staff But, of course, there's going to come a point where those last U.S. soldiers need to get on a plane and the security perimeter will collapse. So it will be a point of the last plane sitting on the runway, engines running, and those last few soldiers just collapsing that perimeter and basically sprinting to get onto the plane before the wheels go up because, of course, there's still a huge crowd outside the airport. Um, And, you know... Imagine what a coup it would be from a PR perspective for the likes of ISIS to carry out another attack on those last soldiers or, heaven forbid, to strike that plane out of the sky. Now, experts say they don't have the wherewithal to do that. They don't have the equipment, but it's not something that the U.S. is taking lightly. So lots to watch out for there. The other thing we're going to be watching out for is how the Taliban actually start to act Mm. as a government when those foreign forces leave. They repeatedly said they're not the same Taliban that they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But over the last few days, we have seen their interpretation of Muslim law coming into force, reports of them chopping the hands off people accused of stealing in other cities. They've said girls will be able to go to school, but in the last 24 hours, they've said, well, yes, they will be able to go to school, but it will be segregated. They won't be able to sit and study alongside men. Uh, And also reports of them going door-to-door, hunting down people who over the last 20 years have worked with Western governments. And you've got to remember that if you're under the age of 25, you don't remember life under the Taliban. Mm -hmm. You've grown up being able to listen to the music you want to listen to, read the books you want to listen to, study where you want to study. That is all about to change. And, of course, the other thing we're watching out for is the security risk for the wider world once the Taliban are in control. They will be fighting with ISIS. The two groups don't get on, but there's a real fear that Afghanistan could once again become a hotbed for terrorism and a place from which attacks against the West 
are plotted and carried out. Well, having said that, Rich, they did, the Taliban, at least on a national level, did say that they are fine-tuning their policies and and a, a more moderate type of government that has not fully been communicated to the smaller towns and cities yet, and that is why we're seeing all those back to 20 years ago type of Taliban policies. But is the international community, do you think, hopeful that we will? We are seeing a different kind of a moderate uh, government that will take power in Afghanistan? Well, I think the key word there is hope, Timothy. Hope. Um, and, you know, governments around the world are hoping that they do keep to this line. Mm. Uh, and you've got to also remember the involvement of countries like China and Russia. Mm-hmm. Their ambassadors have met with the Taliban, and there's a hope that with this international involvement, and the Taliban potentially playing a greater role on the international stage, it might water down some of their, uh, you know, more extreme views, and that they might be a government with which the West can engage. So far, the jury's out still, uh, and we have seen this evidence that mm. potentially it's it's not going to quite be that case yet. And Rich, just to rewind a little bit to on uh, this exit from Afghanistan, I understand British ministers and officials are taking part in a number of international meetings aimed at defining a joint approach to the Taliban. Um, Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab is holding talks with his counterparts from uh, G7. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from those talks and what's going to happen next? Well, what they're really hoping to do is to get a firm commitment from the Taliban as to how they'll be acting and how they'll be managing uh, the country over the coming years. Uh, you know, particularly around concerns when it comes to human rights. We talked about girls' education, mm-hmm. the rights of women. So these meetings are really trying to get the Taliban around the table, virtually, so to speak, and to get them to commit to ways forward. Now, Afghanistan is in a deep economic crisis and is in desperate need of international aid. So that's kind of the the card up the sleeve, if you like, for Western governments, that if the Taliban agree to meet certain conditions then the West will be more willing to provide Mm. aid. And this is going to be a kind of gently, gently approach as we enter these first few days of the Taliban running Afghanistan entirely on their own. And depending on how they act, the West may be willing to give some of that aid, to assist them on the international stage, and to potentially even officially recognize them as the government, something they've not done yet. We're going to have to wait and see. All right, let's move on to uh, another developing uh, news coming out of the United States with uh, Hurricane Ida uh, lashing Louisiana there. Do you have any more updates on that? Yeah, I mean, the pictures here are absolutely devastating. Now, you may remember Hurricane Katrina 16 years ago. It was actually 16 years ago to the day when Ida landed that Katrina hit. And one of the things that Katrina did is she really demonstrated the weaknesses in New Orleans levee systems in particular and in its disaster management. Now, you know, huge areas of Mm -hmm. the state were just absolutely flattened. I don't know if you recall the images of then-President Barack Obama flying over Mm -hmm. uh, these areas which had been completely wiped out. The city's obviously built back since then. Now, Ida is actually technically stronger than Katrina in terms of its storm status. But one of the things that they were hopeful was that the measures they put in place after Katrina would mean that the city was a bit more protected. Now, power has been wiped out, homes have been destroyed, 
but the devastation is nowhere near yet on the scale that Katrina was. They're just hoping, the officials there are just hoping that it will subside and pass relatively quickly so that they can get back to rescuing those in need and building the city back up again. We're speaking with Rich Preston, presenter at the BBC. Okay, Rich, let's catch up on what's happening on the COVID-19 front. On Wednesday, the opening of what's being called a pandemic intelligence hub. What's this and uh, where exactly is it? Well, this is in Berlin, in Germany. The World Health Organization, along with the German government, are opening this facility, as you say, on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And the aim of the hub is to bring together partners from around the world to collaborate and create the tools needed to prepare for future pandemics. Now, it sounds a bit grim to say that when we're still in the middle of this one, but there will be future ones. And the World Health Organization says we need to work together to better detect and respond to them. Many were critical of government especially here in Europe, Mm -hmm. for not acting quickly enough when COVID-19 first started rolling out. You guys in Southeast Asia responded very well. You know, you'd almost had your rehearsal for it with SARS, and we saw countries like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand responding quickly. Didn't really happen here in Europe. Uh, And so there's this idea that potentially working together, especially sharing resources, sharing intelligence, sharing experiences, is how we're going to cope better with the next pandemic. Um, So this is all about mitigating against that. Um, The problem is the end results are only going to be as good as the data you put in it, right? And last week, we saw U.S. intelligence agencies release their report on the origins of COVID-19, and they said they couldn't come to a consensus because China hadn't given them the information they needed. Earlier on this year, World Health Organization investigators went to China, and they said the same thing. They said their efforts were hampered by Chinese officials. Now, China says that the idea of, say, a lab leak theory is a smear from the West, Mm -hmm. and that they did help officials, uh, and that they've been extremely forthcoming with information. And they point to the fact that they locked down quickly and firmly and warned the world. It's just that the world failed to listen. Uh, The problem is when we're talking about this center where we're supposed to be working together, it will only work if we do indeed work together. And that includes countries like China, Russia, which may otherwise be relatively secretive about what's going on inside their own borders. Very quickly, one more thing, Rich. Uh, There's been reports that the EU will be banning non-essential travelers from the U.S. from entering or recommending it anyway. Any confirmation on that yet? No confirmation yet. This is all, of course, with fears of the Delta variant. Cases are rising in the U.S., Mm -hmm. particular hotspots where uh, mask mandates haven't been enforced. uh, And whilst restrictions on U.S. travelers had been relaxed because of their high vaccination rate, because of the Delta variant, because of the numbers of people not getting vaccinated, as you mentioned, the EU is considering banning uh, American travelers coming to Europe once again. I'm sure we'll hear more on that a little bit later on throughout the day there in Europe. Thank you very much, Rich, for joining us here. Rich Preston, BBC presenter, with the latest world developments that we should be looking out for today and through the week. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.